This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In a sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. I'm pleased to introduce one of my dearest friends as a guest on the podcast. Cameron Diaz is an actor, a best-selling author of two wellness books, and now an entrepreneur. Cameron has recently launched Avaline, an organic wine line with minimal intervention and additives that puts transparency front and center. Today, we did what we do. We poured ourselves a glass of wine and spent an hour talking about vino, the power of manifestation, the axiom of turning 40, and how we strive philosophically and karmically to be responsible souls in the world. Cameron has achieved an immense movie career, yet continues to stoke her curiosity every single day. And it's been a joy to watch her ascension. Let's get to my chat with Cameron Diaz. How are you? <laughs> I'm so happy to talk to you. I have so much I want to ask you about, but I think I would, I would love to start with the wine because I'm always so taken with that entrepreneurial spirit that bites people. And will you just tell me a little bit about the journey of like, why did you decide that this was going to be an exciting project for you. We had that moment where we were like, God, we love wine. What's in it? <laughs> you know? Can we really drink this? Can, how can we like drink more of it? And we started asking questions about, you know, about our wine, which is so crazy because I had never done that before. <laughs> I just assumed it was fermented grapes. That was my assumption. And I've been going with it for years. I was making the decision, the best decision for myself. But when you really look at everything that we're consuming, we're all making the real effort to consume organic, consume organic groceries. We're 
meets, we're really making an effort in our lifestyle to put that in place. Even with our skin products, we're pushing for all this organic and it never occurred to me that wine could be made from anything other than just a beautiful grape that was as it existed as its own perfection. But then we realized that in this naivete that there is in fact commercial farming in every category and no exception with wine. That if we were trying to consume something organic, was our wine organic? On top of that, how was it made? We found that there were 73 ingredients that could be used in the winemaking process. That was something I have to tell you, sorry to interrupt you, but I was so surprised when you started to tell me about this venture that wine was allowed to have all of this stuff in it. And you said that a lot of times it's not even vegan. Yeah, so that was one of the bigger surprises for us as well, because who would have ever thought that an animal byproduct could be used in the, ma- in the process of making wine? Now, it doesn't mean that animal, in, that it's in your glass, but the wine is passed through an animal byproduct, and it's a clarifier. All wines naturally are cloudy, but that's not the wine that we're normal, we're used to drinking. And so we wanted our wine also to represent the wine that we all drink. So we use a, a organic plant-based binder protein, like pea protein, cream of tartare, bentonite, which are all organic. And we, but when we found out that it was animal byproducts that were largely used in the industry, we thought, wow, that's so crazy. Just the fact that it's not, um, it doesn't have to be disclosed to us. The, the wine industry somehow has gotten away with not having to be transparent about what's in the bottle. That was what our main goal was to do, was to find the wine that was made with organic grapes that had minimal intervention. So our wines, if you go to our website, which is drinkoveline.com, you can see everything that's in our wine. There's four. Oh my, if I do. Girl, I got my some rosé right here. Should I do the white or the rosé? I'll do the white. I think you'll like the white. I love it. I've had it before. It's so good. Oh, that's right. I, that's right. We drank some. Cheers. Okay, carry on. So we stayed on the bottle what we know is important to our drinkers, which is no concentrates, no added sugars, no artificial coloring. Can you talk to me about how much sugar is put into wine? Because that was another thing you taught me that I really... I didn't know, which is embarrassing, but I was noticing that I love, obviously, I love wine. No comments, no (laughs) peanut gallery comments. And I noticed that at a certain, after a certain age, and I don't know if it had to do with my ability to metabolize sugar or not, but I stopped sleeping at night if I was drinking wine. And with this wine, I can sleep. Yeah. Is that sugar? Is that from sugar? I think personally, when I drink a wine that's a higher sugar content, what I when I look back now, I'm like, I got, I felt more drunk, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, like high and low. But I feel mostly the most important thing for me in the way that I feel when I'm drinking a wine that is with organic grapes, like our wine is, is that I don't feel that really knocked in the head heavy from what I think is the pesticides. Organic farming practices are also by nature just cleaner. You're not putting a bunch of toxins and chemicals into 
the waterways, the, with the runoffs, you're not putting it into the soil, the degrading of the soil, the water table, all of these things that commercial farming really, we're all, we've been trying to break free of this big commercial farming. We feel really good about the fact that our farms are generational farms who have been farming this way for a long time, forever. And, you know, that our winemakers have a real reverence for their land because they're all, they've all grown up on that land. Their fathers grew up on that land. Their father's father grew up on those. <laughs> and they've been making wine forever. It's a really, we feel really happy and proud of our, who we partnered with because it, in wine as well. So if I had a vineyard for 20 years, I've only had 20 times to make a wine. I mean, you've always been a huge champion of trying to democratize wellness and make it a much more accessible practice for everybody. For a lot of people, organic price points are high. I think one of the great things that you're doing with Aveline, that it's, it's a very affordable bottle of wine and it's completely organic. So how have you managed to do that? It's, it's hard to, we want to be able to bring this product to market at this price point because we don't we know that it's this kind of a sweet spot we know that a couple dollars more and it makes it less access less accessible and we know that people are really trying to allocate the money to the things that they find are important and we all know that wine <laughs> like lands onto that i really want it but i don't always i can't i'm not i don't need it i don't know i'm some some days <laughs> some days mama needs some medicine. <laughs> I was like, mama needs some medicine. <laughs> Mommy needs just a little bit of help today. <laughs> when did you fall in love with it? Gosh, I think when I was in my 20s. I had a really unique experience when I was in my 20s that I, I got to drink some really amazing wines. I had some people who I was in the circle with that were wine experts. And I, here I am, I'm just like this 23 year old girl just getting poured like these tours and like these amazing auctioned bottles of wine. Wow. Just like, what's happening? This is were you in France when this happened? I, it was all over the world really. But yes, a lot of time in Paris, England, New York. You were always kind of, well, for how I saw you anyway, you were always this incredible actress, this amazing movie star. And then at the same time, you had this incredible curiosity. And I think we're alike in that we love to share good information that we learn and we want to bring that to our friends, our, our wider circles, and then the, the world. And where do you think that started? When I look back at the body book and the longevity book, talk about a science nerd, like you went so deep in that process. And what do you think, where do you think that spirit comes from in you? I think my mom's very similar in that way. My mom just is like that encyclopedia of random shit. Like you just ask her something and she's and and I guess I just kind of got it from her where and, and in some ways it's I love it because my brain just has these files that I have a lot of information about. But I always think of that saying a what is it? Jack of all trades, master of none. Yes. I really wish, and I, it's probably because I have, you know, ADD and dyslexia and like all these other things that I never knew really that how they, that I did. I just look now and see like, 
the reasons why I couldn't focus on things or the reasons why I, it's hard for me to read a, a lot. I have to listen to a lot of things. I get a lot of my information from listening. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why I love this air, this age of podcasts, but I do obviously I've done a lot of reading in my life, but I'll go like with the body book. It was so much more informative for me to go and meet with the, 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 the doctors and the scientists. I can gain so much more information on that one-on-one -on -one experience and listening and asking the questions. I, that all goes in. So where does the urge to share come from? I love when I, when people, like, I love learning things. So when I learn something, I'm like so excited that I, I learned it. I'm like, wow, that's, I never even thought of it. It's the same thing with the wine. All I want to do is tell other people so that they can go, no way. Oh my God. And then they get excited about it. And then I love that when people have that moment for themselves, the way that I've had it, and then they tell somebody else and they get to have it. And then the information is spread. I, I don't know. There's just something that I really, I, I love. I, I really want people's lives to be better, I think is what it comes down to. I know that every bit of information that I've ever obtained, whether it's about something that, you know, beautiful or something dark or something like progressive or something that's baseline, all of that knowledge I use to try to make my life better. And I assume that's what everybody does. My presumption is that if you get this information, your life will be better because you now know something that you didn't know before. And whenever we expand our minds or our experience and we get, it takes us in another path. I think that growing up where I grew up in Long Beach, really knowing that I didn't have any other options. When I started to get to, all I knew was that I wanted to see the world because I knew that what if I left Long Beach and I got to see other things that it would just, I, my journey would take me out and I would expand. And that's all I wanted to ever do. I just think of life as this ever evolving journey. And I'm not a stagnant person. I'm not good at staying in one place. I'm doing the same thing all the time. And I think when you, you exemplify this so well, you're such a manifester, but you also, I think, you convey so well that anybody can be a manifester in their life, right? Like you grew up in a situation and you're like, I think I want to know more and go other places and I want more exposure. And you just manifested it. And don't you think that everybody has that power within them to some degree? Yeah, I think so. I think what it takes though is we have to out go outside our comfort zone. So that I yeah. think first challenge is to go like, I don't have, I, there's an unknown out there. And for me, I have to go through that unknown to gain the knowledge, to get to the other side, to keep taking this journey, keep moving forward. And I think that's when I was, when you're young and you don't know any better and you don't really know what it means, how far the fall is and how hard it's going to hurt when you land. Yeah. You just take the leap. What feeling would you say needs to go with that feeling of manifestation? Courage. And I think also excitement. You really have to just try to find the thing that excites you, passionate, that you're passionate about. I think everybody, I always remember when I was a kid, when I look back on all the things that were, I was curious about when I was a kid, there's still all the things I was curi I'm curious about now.
They're exactly like what? Like what are they? Just the earth, science, animals, the relationships with people, why people do what they do. Uh, and how do you think curiosity or whatever that feeling is, like the curiosity with ma- power of manifestation and courage, does that change from your 20s as a woman to your 40s? I think you just build a life for when you're in your 20s and 30s and then in your 40s, as you know, it's a completely different a different thing completely, <laughs> you know, but here I am, I'm in my forties. I'm completely starting over. I decided at the beginning of my forties to completely start over after having a whole life that I did something very at a high level. It does feel different. I think as we, in our twenties, we're just trying to figure our shit out. We're like, I'm so messed up. <laughs> you're realizing how like damaged you are in this way, like where you're like, wait a second, there might be an issue here. And then in your thirties, you're like, okay, I'm getting my footing. And then you're in your forties. You're like, oh my God, I got to do something about this. This has to I better to- get my head out of my ass right away. Got to get this taken care of. But you know, it's, it, it is a funny, it's a funny journey, but I, I've got to be here for sure. But I think that what I realize is that where I'm right now, like I've just become comfortable with, being not knowing anything, like not knowing what's going to happen. That's my sweet spot. If I start to worry at all about anything, Mm -hmm. I just total faith that things are going to work out because no matter what, because I, the way I, I just go, I know that all I can do is make the best decisions for my, me and my family, period, whatever they may be. I don't go like, I'm going to end up here. I go, I'm on a journey and I only, I want my path on this journey to however slow or however quickly I want it to be always on an ascension. Like I want it to ascend. I want to like steadily upwards. Um, Do you ascend the more you let go? Yes, for sure. Like you cannot like holding on to anything. is just like dead weight on your ankles. You can't, you're not going to get anywhere. That's what I've realized. And I can't, I have too many, I have too many examples in my life where I held on to things for too long and was, and I can just see where I was stuck. I was just in these really hard places and I was being drugged down. And now in my forties, I just go, everything's got to just, I got to be quicker to identify the things that I'm holding on to and cut them loose do my best to make the decisions that help me move forward and upward. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. 
Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Is it part of the sort of axiom of turning 40 and beyond? Like, I, I often wonder people say, oh, what would you tell your younger self? And it's like, my younger self wouldn't have listened to any bullshit I said. But then something happens, I always have felt around 40, where there's this shift. I always say to my colleagues it's who are younger than I am, you get this involuntary software upgrade when you're 40, and then you can do with it what you will. So I'm sure that was part of it, because it seems to be just a natural demarcation or like chapter in our lives. But when you turned 40, you really had, or soon thereafter, you, ha- you really had a big life change. And you just referred to it as starting over. So what do you mean by that, starting over when you were 40? I just decided that I wanted different things out of my life. I had gone so hard for so long working, making films, and it's such a grind. And I didn't really make any space for my personal life. And then I decided not to, to stop making movies and really focus on my personal life, my personal relationships with my family, with my friends. And then Benji and I met each other and we got married pretty much immediately <laughs> because we both knew that we had to, we both had to do it. We needed to have this. You guys are like the show that I'm watching on Netflix, Married at First Sight, where you get married right away and then you like work it all out. Like through the process. So good. We really did. We went hard for a few years where we just ironed it out and hacked it out. And it was, it was a lot of work, but it was really, you know, we had to, I mean, I'm older than him, but not so much older, but he's, he was at the place in his life too, where he wanted to do that well. And you can't do it if the other person isn't, you know. No. And you have such a great willing partner in him in terms of commitment to work. And that's really, at the end of the day, all you can ask from a partner, right? Is that they're committed to the process and committed to the work. Absolutely. And you both have to be 100% of the time. Was it scary to walk away from, maybe not, because I'm sure you could go back whenever you wanted, but was it, what did it feel like to walk away from a movie career of that magnitude, that's that much success? A piece. I got a piece in my soul because I finally was taking care of myself. Like even when, as you're saying that, I was like, ah, just, <laughs> just grounded. and it's a strange thing to say. I know a lot of people want to understand it. I know you understand it, but it's such a, and it's so intense to work at that level and be that public and put yourself out there. There's a lot of energy coming at you at all times when you're really visible as, a, as an actor and doing press and putting yourself out there. And you really energetically, I'm sensitive to energy, some energies and not others, but I, it does, I do get the overwhelming energy of the attention that's being yeah. you know, put towards me. And also I really, when I stopped, I really looked at my life And I saw what I had been, because when you're making a movie, it's a perfect excuse. They own you. You're there 12 hours a day for months on end. You have no time for anything else. And I realized I handed off parts of my life 
to all these other people. And they were, they took it and some people did. I, I had to basically take it back and take responsibility for my own life. That's my job. There's a lot of things that I had to iron out and a lot of relationships I had to put, repair, a lot of relationships I had to build that I was absent in my life. And let go of too. You, you had a, let go a of recalibration. Yeah. It was like a very, it was like a cleansing and a... And what would you say like the thesis of that was to get, it was like operation, get closer to yourself or what would the thesis of that time be? Actors are infantilized. We're put in a position where everything's taken care of for us. You go to set, everybody wants to carry your bag and put you in, you're not allowed to do anything. God forbid something happens to you, then they can't finish movie and you're already on film and (laughs) insurance days and like all these things and then you're responsible for all these multi-million dollar pictures that you have to go out and do your press for and market and all these things and it's just overwhelmingly your life just becomes so narrow and people everybody's doing things for you and you're catered around and I never felt really truly comfortable that wasn't my comfort zone be taken care of mm-hmm. um, but I, I understood it was part of the job and for me I needed to become self-sufficient again I really needed to know that I could take care of myself and that I knew how to be an adult and I knew how to you know navigate the world of the complexity of being an adult and having responsibility and putting all the pieces of my life together the way that I wanted it to be put together, not how other people thought it should go. And really dig in and through the weeds and say like all these little pieces of the machine, all these mechanisms that were functioning, they were all functioning. They just, I was out of touch with all of them. And I didn't really, I just, I felt I got too comfortable with everything, just the wheels turning. And the fact that it was, they were working and we were moving forward. But then I said, okay, so where do I want, how do I want my life to function? Where do I want to go? And I'm the, the architect of that. I'm the person, I'm the captain. I need to look at how, you know, I'm going to get there and be responsible for that. Like more philosophically responsible for yourself, karmically responsible for yourself. Not only I can carry my own bag, yeah. but just really taking accountability and understanding the responsibility of who you are as a soul in the world, as opposed to a movie star. And did you come to knowing yourself in a different way? Absolutely. I do. I learned a lot about myself and it's painful. (laughs) It hurts. It's scary. And I, I, I actually credit Benj a lot for that. He was like a real, I broke that mirror about a thousand times when he put it up to me. And I was like, oh, I hate you. <laughs> Don't show me that. And he was like, look, bitch. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, you want to see it too? There. <laughs> look at that. <laughs> but it was not, we both knew it was necessary. I could cry. <gasps> Thank God for him. Thank God. Do you think that when you were in kind of movie star mode, and I just want to say, just everybody knows, like you've always been, even when you were full into people carrying your bags, movie star mode, like 
so down to earth, such a good person, so caring of everybody around you. So that's important to note. But I wondered if that level of cocooning, attention, energy, and really objectification, if you feel that maybe it had a detrimental impact on your ability to your capacity for intimacy or a thousand percent there was a lot of things that impacted my capacity for intimacy <laughs> let's but, go back to 1972 you know i just i was actually thinking about it last night and i was thinking like self-esteem is such a weird thing people really think i there was so for so long i thought i had like really great self-esteem like I was like, I really, no, I'm, I have great self-esteem. <laughs> All of a sudden, I just realized like I have shit self-esteem. I have like terrible self-esteem. And it was shocking. Like I didn't realize how it manifests itself and how it like, it crippled me in, in certain areas of my life. And I think that my self-esteem, when you don't, now I think that, I think self-esteem is one of those things that you carry your whole life. It's not just like all of a sudden something happens and you get the legs knocked out from underneath of you because people get their legs out, knocked out from underneath them all the time. If they have really good self-esteem, they get back up and they start walking. But like, it's something that is a really, it's really challenging to be aware of it and identify it when it's working against you and to do the work that you need internally to help yourself move past like the feeling of like that you're not what self low self-esteem does which is make you make different decisions whether it's to try to get attention someplace or to sabotage yourself or just talk to yourself in a certain way that isn't loving so do you think self-esteem gets set when you're young and then what you build on top of it and around it? Or do you think that it grows and heals as you go through life? I think it's definitely happens when you're a child and it gets layered upon. And we do, we start making all these decisions at a young age based off of our self-esteem and we find things that work for us. So we keep doing it and we do it until we realize that it, we don't need to do it that way anymore. It's actually working against us because as we evolve, when you're a child, certain things work for you. But when you become a teenager or a young adult, those things, you're not a child anymore. So you don't need to use those mechanisms as an, a young adult. And when you're a young adult and you become a grown ass woman, you, the things you used to do at 25 are not the same things that work functionally, you know, functions in your life in the same way. You don't get the same results at 40 that you did at 25 with those defenses or those, the way that you react or navigate a certain situation based off of what worked when you were 25. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of the Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster. They're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all new season of the Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. As the mother of a girl, are there 
certain strategies you have laid out or certain things that you want to have her avoid or to teach her? Like how, I always think it's so fascinating when we have a girl, right? Because there's so much. Yeah, I just, I want her, and I know it's impossible, but I really just want her to be free of objectification. No, in any way, shape, or form. So like when people are like, she's so cute, or she's so pretty, and people just, oh, she's so pretty, she's, oh, she's so cute. Kind of have to breathe through that moment because she's a baby right now, but I don't want her to identify with those adjectives. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want her to be like, I'm pretty, I'm cute. I want her to be like, I'm me. When I look at her, all I want to do is help her be her, period. That's it. That's all. I'm just learning every day. And she's, she's revealing, she's able to reveal more and more to me every day who she is. And I'm just trying to keep up with her to like go, oh, you want this? You want that? You want to go here? Whether it's me facilitating it or me helping her to understand that she can't do that yet until she learns what hurt means in the most gentle way so that she understands that when she, when I say you're going to get hurt doing that, like her, she has no concept of that yet. Thank God she has nothing's touched her yet. Knock on wood. But when she's going for an edge, I just keep telling her that's an edge. You don't know what that means yet, but you're going to fall and you're going to get hurt. And then it's interesting because at this age, it's really easy. And then all of a sudden they're older and they do things that might be out of alignment with your opinions about things that you're not even aware of. So much of it is conditioning and patterning from our parents and transgenerational stuff. And then you're like, you have to catch yourself. And I can't believe Apple's 16. It's so crazy. Can you believe that? Cool. I know. And so that, you know, I read this quote, I think it was attributed to Banksy, the painter. And it said something like, children will do no sorry it said remember parents i told you this parents will do absolutely anything for their children these days except let them be exactly who they are and i love that and it's true and you fall into the trap but it's so nice that you're going into the consciousness of parenting from that place and that lack of judgment and expansiveness i think it's part of being a an older mother you know what i mean being a mother at the age that I am, I don't think I could have been this parent at 25. I would not have been a be- become a mother if it wasn't for you. You used to talk, be like, I'm not having kids. And you're like, you are having kids. You're getting married. You're having children. And I was like, no, I'm not. And you're like, you have to do it. You have to. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. You're like, and you would just be on me all the time. You're like, you have to, you don't understand. If you don't do this, you will be so sad that you didn't do it. And so I credit you so much with the fact that you never let up on me. I would say encouraging and also. <laughs> but you're, I think I could see and I knew what a natural mother you are. Some women aren't. But you, I was like, you're born to do it. And all of my, I'm not going to do this was just fear. Yeah. I was just scared. I was afraid. I was afraid I wouldn't find a partner. I had no luck. I didn't have people that I, in my life. Yeah. You had some real humdingers in there. 
like I said, low self-esteem really <laughs> derail one, derail a person. You know what I want to ask you? Do you have, I've never asked you this question, but do you have regrets about your life? I don't think that you can regret anything because everything's where it should be. If I didn't do all the shit that I did, like all the stuff I wish so many times, I'm like, why couldn't I just like figure that out sooner? <laughs> why? Why did I do that? <laughs> you know, like, oh, God. You're oh, right where you need to be. Right where I need to be. Yeah. It just goes back to just making the best decision that you can in the moment that you make it end up where you're meant to be. Just trust your gut. And what do you think the factors are for making a good decision? I always believe that little, anytime that I didn't listen to that little voice inside that was screaming at me to do something like, no, do this. And I was like, shut up, kid. Like I, whenever I don't listen to that voice, I end up in the wrong place, in a place that I have to dig myself out. It's all, you, hopefully you'll be okay. But like, I've made some pretty bad decisions based, like not listening to that voice. Mm-hmm. I think listening to the little voice, listening to your gut. And you can't, you never know. For me, I, the way I think about things is that we're not in control. There's no guarantee that the decision that we make will yield the result that we think it will, even if we think it's a guarantee that it will. Something, anything can happen at any time. And that there is no control. Like we don't have control over this universe. So I just think that I, for when I make decisions, I always remember that. And I don't get too, I don't hold on too tightly to what I hope the end result is. I'm ready to be agile and bob and weave and make decisions as they're coming at me. I look at it and I go, I try to scan really quickly like that, which one just jumps out at me as like the right one right now for everything. It's a problem solving mentality. And so did Benj and I, Benj is the same way. We're just like, what's the issue? How do we solve it? Nothing's going to crush you. There's no like absolute like, well, we're, well, well, I guess we don't do it or, oh, that was a, no, we just go, okay. So how do we get around this? How do we make this work? Again, commitment to the process. So beautiful. Yeah. Fun. What else are you going to do? You're going to drink wine is what you're going to do to make the process fun along the way. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Cameron Diaz. I'm happy to share this nourishing conversation between two friends. You can find Aveline Wine at drinkaveline.com. That's a wrap on today's episode. If you have a second, please rate, review, and hit subscribe if you haven't already. Don't forget to share the Goop podcast with a friend. And in the meantime, for more, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.